Welcome to the Engage and Equip podcast. This is a resource designed to help form substantive disciples for the local church. In this episode, you have lead pastor Nick Gibson, Curtis White, and Maggie Flamingo. Curtis and Maggie were both on the singleness panel at Sexuality Everywhere, and they have come back to talk a little bit more about some of the things that they talked about on that singleness panel. So specifically, they're going to be talking about singleness within the local church. So how can we order families? How can we order the church? How can singles order their lives in such a way to integrate well with the family of the local church and to thrive in the vocation of singleness? So thanks for listening. Hey, everybody. Hi. This is Dick Gibson. I'm here with Maggie Flamingo and Curtis White. And this is a follow-up from our um, Sexuality Everywhere Conference panel where we talked about singleness in the local church. And so one of the things we wanted to talk about was things related to singleness in the local church in relationship to the whole church, partly because most of the crowd that was at the Friday night thing, no Saturday night thing, was single. That was partly intentionally, even though guilt trips were heaped upon me for doing that because um, there are just a lot of families with kids that had come up Friday night and were there all day Saturday and it was an act of mercy to send them home. We thought that single people might like to come back for a thing that focused entirely on their vocation. So sure. anyway, whether or not that's evil, I don't know. We'll have to just love each other, I guess. Um, so part of what um, we talked about before you guys came in for this is we didn't talk too much about this on Saturday on the Saturday night, but we talked a little bit about like how local churches best order themselves socially and structurally so that single people can maximize their vocations to serve Jesus in the local church. So without further like stultifying of your creativity, what are some of the ways you would come after that? Well, I'll defer to Curtis to start since this was something he was like particularly interested in talking about. Sure. I find it helpful to reflect on my own experiences in local churches to think about what has worked and what hasn't. Um, certainly don't have universal experiences, but when I came to Madison, I was single going to grad school and I knew no one. I have no family here. I like just dropped into the city. Where are you from? I'm from near Detroit, Michigan. And so I literally opened the phone book, found the church that was the closest to me by address, found their time and went to that church. Um, it worked remarkably well. And um, that was the extent of my church hunting. Uh, I landed in a charismatic church that uh, had a small group structure that was very family oriented, but very open to whoever wanted to come. And I found that to be really very helpful. Um, having small groups that were welcome for families and children, but also welcome for singles. It provided a really natural way to interface with new people to get to know them, but also interface with families and get to be around their kids and just felt really natural. It was really healthy. And I'm so grateful for those experiences. Um, other small group experiences that I've had, um, I see a lot of churches doing things like we have the young adults group. And there's just pros and cons to that. I see a great deal of camaraderie that you can build, but mm -hmm. then you don't get the diversity of family experience and... and um, yeah. Um, generational so, experience. to slice that up a little bit at high point we have a young adults so like it's called grad and career yeah but it's not designed to have small small groups it's designed to be a medium-sized group for gathering but then the hope is for them to be an intergenerational small groups yeah so and then you end up uh, you know so there's there's kinds of pros and cons that i see to different ways that people try and do yeah. these things i've found great success in the past having intergenerational small groups as being a really mm -hmm. healthy way to do that. I'm not currently involved in one of those small groups and I, I feel the lack of that. I feel the yeah. lack of family, um, and engagement with children. So, so I have a, a very weird church background, um, in that not weird in a bad way, but just very 
uh, atypical. So I was homeschooled and home churched, not in a cult. So that's important to say. Uh, and you because sh- of are that, you sure? yes, <laughs> it's very important. It was not a cult, I promise. Um, but because of that, I have always found it very difficult to join churches, like okay. because I was home church and we were so like, like part psychologically of it. hard. Yeah, psychologically, okay. it's just, it's hard for me. Um, and I have definitely had periods in my life where I just ha- go through a lot of social anxiety. So added to my discussion of like, well, how to incorporate singles into the church, I tend to look at it through the lens of what about the ones who aren't naturally good at integrating? Because I think that especially once you get past a certain age, and I don't want to say this is universal, but many of the singles that are around tend to be a little bit more Awkward might be the right phrasing, but they they can be harder to get along with. Um, They're not naturally good at making a lot of connections sometimes. Um, I definitely put myself in that category. And so in many ways, like my perspective on this question is like, I, there's a long list of things that I wish churches would do, but the older I've gotten, the more I realize it's, it's things that I need to do to fit in better with the church as a single person. Like, it's very easy for me to walk into a church, and I've done this many times, and be like, oh, they don't meet my needs as a single person, and yeah. then I just leave. Yeah, so let me float an idea with both of you and see what you think about it. So when my two older daughters who are teenagers get in like a fight with each other, I try to separate them for the lecture part because I want to tell them different things. Like I'm lecturing, I want to be like, look, you definitely started that. And this is, blah, blah, blah. and I talk to the other one, be like, you definitely overreacted and shouldn't let be, right? Is that how you talk about singleness? That, like, if you knew you were talking to single people, you'd be like, hey, grow up with, like, we've got to fit in here. Like, we need to do a lot of work. But if you were talking about to a room full of, like, married people with families who go to churches, you'd say something very different. And then hopefully they'd all meet together and do the right things. Yeah, absolutely. I think that there are two sides to this issue. Um, So I've seen a lot of things where singles feel abandoned. They feel like they're left out. Um, So for example, the single panel, um, some of the reactions that I saw from single people and that, oh, it's only single people here. Clearly the church doesn't care about us. I don't actually think that's a reflection of whether or not the church cares about the single community. Um, They might have been either, like you said, they needed to go and put their kids to bed um, Mm -hmm. or else they were trying to create a space for single people to talk about singleness without making it be about married people, which is a huge complaint. Every sermon is always about married people. So can't have it both ways. Right. Um, And I think that it's important that everyone involved in the conversation starts putting the perspective of the other person as their focus, because our perspective is very easy to see, but trying to get that other perspective of what it's like to be on the other side of the issue is a little harder. Yeah. Yeah. But that's it. I have, I have opinions. So I do think that the intergenerational um, small groups can be very helpful. I think that some of the key ways of including single people, the biggest thing that I've heard um, is that single people often feel that the church and the community isn't celebrating their successes, um, that they are often like at all of the wedding parties and at the baby showers and at the birthday parties for the small kids. But then when a single person accomplishes something, because there's no like familial tie that like demands a celebration, it would be like me throwing my own dissertation party, um, that it, it's not going to happen. And there's no one that naturally steps up to do that for single people. And so it's a lot harder for us to celebrate our wins. And that leads to a lack of community a lot of times. And so when I've asked this question to single people, like how has the church served you well? Um, That's one of the the things that's come up is, well, I was in a church where like they consciously like celebrated my success and that meant so much. Yeah. So I think that's one thing that we could do better. What are some of the successes you're thinking about? Like promotion, you get your dissertation accepted just other milestones yeah, other I mean, than having babies and getting married. Right. I mean, birthdays can be a thing. Sometimes it depends on the person. I mean, you know, sometimes birthdays are good. Sometimes that's where you cry alone in a corner and that, you know, kind of know the person before you do that. Um, but uh, so a friend of mine was working on the Ice Age Trail and it took her years to hike the entire Ice Age Trail. And it was a really, really It's like 1,700 deal. miles, right? It's, I think it's close to a. I think it's just over a thousand, Okay, but it's It's still a lot. Right. Um, and that was one of those things where when she finished 
that line, you know, she she asked people to come and walk with her. And I mean, there wasn't a lot of planning ahead of time and things like that. But the people that, you know, walked the last mile um, were her two single friends. Mm -hmm. And that's the sort of thing where it's like, all right, let's let's celebrate that. Like that was clearly something that was so important in her life. Um, And so things like that, like if you know a person, you're going to know what's important to them. And if you don't know what's important to them, that means you're not including that single person into your community enough. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hmm. I just had some really great experiences where like people threw a party for my master's degree and I never would have asked for it on my own. So I can say it really did make me feel loved and included. It mattered to me. It's never something I would have asked for, but I'm really glad that it happened. So Yeah, so so you're the I, exception that proves the rule. Like, yeah, that's good. Right. It people is like good. That. Yeah. 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 Imagine that. It's really great when people notice you, take notice of what's happening in your life and then respond to that in appropriate ways. Yeah. I think that's what anybody would want, whether you're single or married. I yeah. think, though, the married person has kind of a de facto built-in community that's close enough that those things are more likely to be noticed. It takes more effort to notice. It's, it's more effort for the single person to notice it, uh, to notice the successes of other people. You have to really ask questions. You have to be intentional about community all the yeah. time. Okay. Do you guys have more to say about this? About like how to better incorporate singles into the community? Um, So another thing that I think I've seen, um, I don't, again, I don't personally feel this way because I think this is more on me. Mm -hmm. Um, But oftentimes the church's answer to singles loneliness is you need to serve at the church more. And I think that's fair. Like there is definitely this built in um, time that single people often have. And also church service can be a really good outlet for single people. Um, But the flip side of that is that it's always like that's where you'll find community. But then we'll join ministries um, where really people show up, do something and leave. And there's never actually any exchange of community. And so it's like, well, we're all doing this task together, but no one has introduced themselves to anybody else. Um, No one has really um, talked about like how their life is going. And so like that actual community building through service doesn't happen very well. Um, And this has been like, I've I've definitely had a church that will remain nameless, but I worked, I was there for about two to three years and I taught a Sunday school and I I had parents come up to me in church and say like, oh, are you new? And introduce themselves to me. And I was like, I teach your third grader. Mm -hmm. Like that should never happen. Did you say it just like that? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I was a much meaner person in the past. No, Uh, I would say it that way today as well, probably. But there's there's something to like just using the single population and actually including them in your community. And so you have to be like, if I'm talking as the like, my bitter single single self, which I don't think is the majority of my personality, but right. definitely exists. Um, like that's something I would throw out there. Like you, you have to stop using the single community as just this free workforce and actually recognize that you have to give something back yeah. um, in response to that. Yeah, I can see that. Do you feel like work projects, like if the church goes to like hope in a future and like redoes their gardens for the year and it's like this big outdoor work thing that it, that that's usually better because you're standing next to people and talking as opposed to like teaching the third grade hour with so-and-so. Yeah. I mean, in my personal experience, yes, because everyone's there just kind of like for that one time and everyone's kind of new and they're all getting, it's, it's usually the more regular ministry where you just, and that's partly because of the time you have to commit to it, right? Like if you're doing it every single week and you show up, uh, usually you get there right when it starts and you leave right when it's over because you have other things you have to do. And so adding on a layer of, oh, and then I have to like be aware of the other workers and ask them about like, it's, it's much more difficult. But that's often what the single people gravitate towards because they have the ability to every week do that. So, Yeah. I want to acknowledge the complexity of it too. Um, There's kind of an organizational component to it, but then there's just relational connections and community components to it. 
And I find myself shutting the door often on my own volition because of how I imagine the family life to be. So I have married friends, but I'll think, oh, I, sh- I you know, I have a free evening. It would be neat to call them up. I oh, know they're probably busy with their kids. And that's yeah. totally unfair for me to make that decision for them. But I do it all the time because that's what I imagine. Even yeah. though they'll tell me, no, you should call me. And I can totally do that. It's just like, it's how I play it out in my mind. Yeah. So the door is sometimes shut from both sides. Yeah, I find myself in this position in my life right now at 41 where I have no, I am, this is the farthest I think I can possibly be from understanding what it's like to be single because I've been married to my wife longer than I've been single. I have four children. If you ask yourself, I wonder if I should call Nick tonight or he's busy with his kids. You should assume I'm busy with my kids. I am busy with my kids. And if I have two minutes, I'm not dealing with my kids. I'm busy with my wife. Right. And if I'm not, I'm busy with my 81 year old mother. And if I'm right, like, and it goes down the list. Right. Mm -hmm. So I, it's one of the reasons why I don't, I'm not actually known for like demanding huge commitments from people that might just be like, we're going to do this incredible thing. Like I'm, I'm not really given to that because in my life right now, I cannot imagine the idea of having more than an hour to yourself in which you are not hiding in the basement. Right. And so I am literally like on the far reaches of the thing and it's kind of fun when single people come over because my kids kind of talk with them and stuff and um, we had one at the house till like 11 p.m. last night which was great Um, but like it was really cool being with that person but then I talked to my daughter this morning and I was like why did you guys get home after midnight driving her home and she was like well because I hadn't talked with mom like we used to drive an hour in the car to my homeschooling group and like now we don't and I miss her and so we just drove around for a while so I could talk to her, right? And like, this is my wife's kid. This is our oldest child. She's the most interesting of our children at this point, right? Because she's the oldest. And this is what our life is like, right? right. So it's fair. And like, we have four children. That's not common now. And so I think it's different for families that have two kids. You know what I mean? Well, I think so. My sisters, who I'm very close with, one has six children and the other has, well, will have four on Monday. Um, And so like their lives are crazy. Um, And I think that one of the keys and it's different with family because like they can't reject me. Right. (laughs) Like I just show up. Um, But there is this like component of I have to be part of that messiness. And I think if single people really want to to be included in like family life they have to be very comfortable or just force themselves to be comfortable with that messiness um Mm -hmm. and so it's things like you know ask your friends who are married with kids like what event do you have to take your kids to that you're dreading because the kids outnumber you and go to that with them like Mm -hmm. it's not the kind of thing you actually want to do because it's not on your social calendar and it's it's slightly a burden but if you really want to be part of family life that's often the family life that like needs more adult presence. And so yeah. I think there are ways that we can we can be included in that like messy chaotic life that is family life in the 21st century without it really like taking away from those small moments of freedom that a lot of families have. Yeah. But I also have friends who like would be insulted if that's what their married friends did. Like so I like again there's there's other kinds of personalities that would not be okay with being invited to your kid's soccer game to talk with you. And they're like, you can't make time for me. Um, and right. And the answer yeah. is no. Ex- yeah. And I think that's, you have to kind of understand that that sometimes will be the answer. So one of the things that I said in my panel at the sexuality conference that I wish I had worded differently, but the sentiment remains the same is that single people oftentimes don't feel like anyone owes them their time. And that can be very burdensome because we're so alone and we're oftentimes like I, I live by myself. So this is kind of a compounded problem because Wait, of it. Can you, can you say what you mean by Does, nobody owes them their time? What yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll explain that because that's I wish I had changed my wording on, on that a little bit. But like in a relationship, like there's expectations that someone's going to ask you how your day is, yeah. how you're like the certain things that are stressing you out. Like they're, they're, you need to be aware of them if you're in a relationship. Otherwise, that relationship is terrible, right? right? So you're owed that kind of connection and time. Like if you're having a bad day and you're dating someone, they owe you like, a, like time to talk that out. 
Okay. Right. As a single person, I don't have that. Like I can kind of demand it of my sister sometimes. I like rotate it through my siblings when I'm having really bad days because I can't like put it all on, on one constantly. Um, but there's still this sense of, you know, no one out there owes me that. And the the reason that I I think it's important we realize as a church community, we should have an expectation that someone in the church is there for us. But it needs to be an expectation and not an entitlement, because once we feel like we're entitled to it, then it can hurt relationships. But if we like are hurting or need someone or even like in sharing in successes, not just that we're hurting, but like mm-hmm. that t- we need time poured into us somehow, like it is an expectation of the church that they should be there for us. But we mm-hmm. have to be generous as to who is that person. Like we can't just pick one friend and be like, they have to give me their time. Like the church community needs to be broader than that. Um, So I think having that expectation is important because a lot of single people retract and they're like, oh, I I don't, no one owes me that. Right. Like, so I can't ask for it. You can ask for it. um, But you have to be very generous for when people don't have time and look somewhere else. But like finding that. And I think too, mentorship is also a really good component of that too. Like finding older couples that have more time, um, finding like we are so sometimes focused in like just our peer groups or the people that we think are really cool. Um, we're like, Oh, that's the person that I really want to talk to when I'm, Mm -hmm. when I'm going through such and such. And I think we need to, to widen that possibility because really if we're looking for community, there's more than just that one person um, or that one couple or that one family uh, that you want to put time into you. Yeah. Like I, you want to say something, Curtis? Go ahead. I, so I, so I don't, sometimes I don't know what of this is temperament and what of this is life stage. And so, so it's sometimes it's hard to sort this out. I'm the kind of temperament where I, my greatest fear is for other people to depend on me, which being a pastor was like a great career choice. Right. Um, but sometimes I feel like Ben Sasson, one of his books, I think it's his last one, Them, he talked about like the loneliness crisis in America and how like most Americans X number of years ago would have said they had it, would have said they had like 3.4 friends. They would have said that, but that's what it comes out to. And now it's some, in certain demographics, it's less than one. Um, for men, it's like zero point something. And some of that is like demographic and it has to do with all kinds of different stuff. But it, it also seems to have something to do with the fact that we just we're not any good at making friends or having friendships. And as a, as a married person, I like, I actually intentionally inhibit some friend making because the minute you really are friends with somebody, you have obligations to them. But when I was single, I had tons of friends and it always baffles me and mystifies me when single people don't. And I think there's at least two reasons and then maybe you guys can add to this. One, I got married very young. I was 21. I was just coming out of college. So I was still inside institutions that favored the age cohorts that I was in and put me around people near my age all the time. And so I spent all my time around people my age. And so all I had to do was talk to the person in class and I'd made a friend, right? Um, I can't remember what the second one was right now. But like, I, it just seems like, oh, and, and like, I was just younger. Like as people get older, like they get married and they disappear. Like in the grad and career group, some people call it the high point dating group, not because we encourage anything like that, but because when people get married, they just tend to stop going. They just, their lifestyle just changes. Like they get a dog and they don't want to be away from home and blah, blah, blah. And then they tend to join small groups and, or they have a child or they have a child. yeah. Yeah. And the, and so then like the single people are still in that group, but the married people like slowly leave. And so it feels like a dating group because, that's why people seem to be there, right? Which I have no objection to, but when you get into the the older age cohort of that group, it starts to get increasingly annoying, I think. Right. When cute boys come in and then you aren't the person they marry or vice versa, it seems like it increases your disgruntledness at the Well, I think it also makes it more difficult for people that like it would be like particularly odd if they were dating the new people to enter because there's like a decade between them. Um, that can also be difficult. It's like, Oh, I've, I've like literally aged out of this group if this is really just about dating. And so that can also right. add a layer. Of and then the church is like, okay, so wait, do we start a 32 to 46 
single people group right. or what? Right. And I was yeah. part I was part of a group in college where the the pastor of the group, the minister in charge of it once said that our goal is to be irrelevant. And I, I was like, well, what do you mean? He's like, well, actually, we're like, you know, we're, we're the singles group. So our goal is that everyone will get married and then we won't exist anymore. And I was like, Ouch. Like as someone who like at that moment was like pretty sure that she was going to go an academic route and not actually and like all of the guys there had pretty much rejected me like that was a terrible thing to say. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that that can you have to just be very careful, even if that is the practice of the group, which naturally often is the Mm -hmm. practice of groups like that. Don't make it your actual like overt mission because there's going to be a couple people that that's not going to go over well and it's just going to hurt them in the future so it's kind of a needless thing to say but yeah Yeah. I've in my experiences this kind of issue of finding people that you can rely on the friends that are there for you when you need them has been an issue of great needing to trust the Lord greatly. Um, It's not anything I ever take for granted. And it's something that I found God to be faithful in. Usually not in the ways or in the people that I would have expected, but always faithful. Um, And it's, if you don't have it, it's it's the one thing you need to pray about. I mean, maybe more than anything else. We just can't live life well on our own. We need to have a few close friends. And don't you don't you live with a few guys? I live with two roommates and we have varying depths between us of how much we're sharing, um, but we have really good community. We try to talk to each other at least once a day and ask each other how things are going. We try to pray for each other. Um, but the thing that I have now that's regularly happening and has been happening for a long time now is a Saturday morning guys group and it flexes with uh, there most of the people in the group are married and um, aren't married they They, okay right now it's half and half okay married and single it's small there's four of us so two of them are married two of us aren't and easy math that was easy math but just for those of you that had difficulty with that um the group has changed and morphed and shifted times and locations, but I've just made it a priority. I'm going to get up early Saturday and I'm going to be there. I'm going to listen to people. I'm going to process life with them and they will do the same. And it's, it's a carved out space for specifically that. Um, it's way, it's under the radar of most church activity. It's, it's actually crossed churches for almost the entire time that I've been a part of it. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's more church than anything else I experience because it's where we really will share the word if we've had a revelation, we'll pray for each other, we are accountable with each other, um, we, we have built history with each other so we can, when a decision comes up in my friend's workplace and they have to make a choice about this promotion or that lateral move, and we go, well, this is what God has been doing for the last 10 years, why don't you think about it this way? And Which is fairly rare in Madison, to have that kind of continuity. Yeah, yeah. I th- one of the things I was thinking about before, before is I was reading uh, some stuff on Aristotle and friendship recently, and and within some of those Greek writers, like the idea a man's friends were more important than his wife, like the, the friendship was the most sacred relationship, than marriage or something else. And I look at my kids' lives and I look at the activities kind of thrust upon them and the communities that they move in and out of and so on. And one of the biggest problems that I see is just a lack of the continuity of time and everything necessary to actually produce very significant, deep and meaningful friendships and, and for those to to develop their way into the developing psychology of my children so that my kids not just kind of cognitively know, but actually feel having a few really good friends in my life is priority. Number one, after that Jesus is Lord and King and that you should call your dad, you know, and I just don't see that developing in them naturally because of the way we have things set up. And I, what my, my concern is, is that what happens sometimes I think with folks is, is that if they don't marry soon after undergrad, you leave the youth group of college and you enter intergenerational adult life in which you are not naturally grouped and cohorted with other people just like you. 
and and it it doesn't just become harder to date it becomes harder to make friends and i think the latter may even be worse than the former i think on our spiritual well-being i would agree with that i'm bad at both um so (laughs) there we go but yeah i think that it can be really hard um especially when you have any kind of like social anxiety and i mean that in like a, a like an actual social anxiety like, like you feel tightness in your chest and like i've sat outside small groups and wept in my car instead of going in them like there's just like i i don't even know what shuts off in my brain so that like there's just something weird there but the, it is difficult to to do that but i i look back at like those moments when i have prayed and where the lord just kind of put the the like strangest like people in my life that have just been the best of friends that I never would have chosen for myself. Um, But one of the things that the single community, I think, has to recognize and kind of reconcile for themselves is that even though friendship becomes more important for you as a single person, it's also something you have to be more flexible with. Because I think that there's something less rooted in a single life um, because people come and go. Um, those, the, you know, yeah. the really good single friend Absolutely. that you've had for 15 years found someone and they're getting married and that will change everything. Yeah. Um, and that doesn't mean that your friendship will end, but there's, there's definitely change kind of foisted upon you that can seem really brutal. Um, So I think single people have to really work on their ability to be flexible and to not be possessive of those friendships, even though they are so important to us. Yeah. I was talking to a a woman in her twenties in the church recently in her very, at the very end of her twenties. And she's like, yeah, I'm losing two more friends this year because they're getting married. And she's like, I, I'm, I'm, they're going to love me, I'm sure, and we'll still talk and whatever, but they're not going to be meaningful and deep friendships in my life anymore. And she's like, and, and so now a lot of my friends are like 22 because those are, that's who's around and who's single and who has time and who can talk. And like that, that sounds really hard, you know? Yeah. And so I, I think that there are things that we can do. Um, I think there are better ways that we can adapt with friends who get married, there's always going to be a period where they just are not going to have anything to do with you because they're enjoying newlywed life. But that wears off Mm -hmm. pretty quickly, luckily for us, not for them, maybe. But um, eventually they're going to need more of that that community. But your friendship with them is going to change because either you're going to befriend just them as a couple. So that's like a new friendship in many ways, or else you're going to gravitate hopefully towards the the person whose gender you share, um, most likely, because I think that's just healthier for like protecting their marriage which yeah, becomes it's, it's hard to stay friend with your single guy friend after he gets married yeah like, like cl- mm-hmm. real close you yeah know? I, unless i'm also very good friends with his wife, his wife like right. that that's the right. only way i could see that being spiritually wise right. and like as someone who would also feel very responsible for protecting his marriage that's the only thing i would pursue right, right. um and so like you just have to you have to be adaptable which is kind of ironic in the sense that most single people tend to be less adaptable the longer you're single because all we think about is our own needs um, and like what works for us like I'm able to cater to like myself 100% at my house right like my whole house is books and tables of books and more books because that's me you know I don't ever have to adapt to someone else unless my mom comes and visits Mm -hmm. and so like I think being really aware of how flexible we need to be with other people and how much more difficult it will be for us is something we need to foster. And I think you can actually practice it and pray about it and get better at it over time, but you have to work at it. It's, it's not going to naturally be easy. I was, I was kind of waiting for you to say like after the third thing of books and then you're like, and the cats, all the cats. <laughs> I only have one cat, only one. just one. So, okay. So tell me if you think that this is correct. So I would say if I was advising a single person in relationship to the friendships and flexibility and so on, I would say you need to be very inflexible in getting into friendships and being holistically in them. And then you have to be flexible when they inevitably change. It's uh, you have to be like very deliberate and sort of linear. Like this is what I'm doing. I need to, I need to make friends. I need to do it deliberately. I need to grow in those friendships. I need to be there for those people. And invite them to be there for me. And then I need to realize it could change. And then I need to change. And that's just how life is. Yeah, that resonates. That's true. 
Um, it does take work. It's not going to happen on your own. Um, some of them are easier than others, which is great. Mm-hmm. And then you have to hold it loosely because you're not in a covenant relationship with any of your friends and they may make covenant relationships with other people that are stronger. And that's, that is reality. Mm-hmm. Do you think that like biblically speaking, marriage is talked about as a covenantal relationship in a way that no other relationship is really talked about. I think we probably all agree on that. Um, it seems like that for most people, that means every other relationship is strictly momentarily voluntary. Do you think that that's right? Or do you think that friendship has implicit obligations and it is not a, right? Like it resists consumeristic constructions. So I, I've had friends that bring this up all the time, this question of covenantal friendship. And right. I think that calling which, it, which to yeah. be clear for a lot of people who are listening, like the, the people doing the most writing about this are gay Christians mm-hmm. because they're like, I'm probably not getting married. Mm-hmm. So I need lifelong, meaningful, deep friendships. And so th- it's these guys that coined the term covenantal friendships. Right. So but they didn't sorry. make it up. I mean, this is David well, it's and monastic, Jonathan. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And I mean, way back David and Jonathan. Right. We see yeah. that. But like in the modern American church, sure. they recoined it. But yeah, I mean, this is essentially a monastic category. Right. But you, and you can find examples as far back in the in the Bible as the Old Testament. Right. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah so it's I, I mean, it's a very relevant topic right now. And mm-hmm. I think that I'm, I'm hesitant to call it a covenant um, just because it, it's not actually phrased that way biblically. Um, and I think that there are moments where. I would break off a friendship, even a really close friendship that don't meet where you would break off a marriage. And so like that, that boundary, like at what point does your friend like get like, you know, when would you end that friendship? Um, I think there's, there's different categories there, but I definitely have friendships in my life where I was convicted when really thinking about this, I was like, I need to tell that person that like, I'm, I'm their friend for life. Like I really am. They, they are able to ask anything of me without having to worry or tell me anything without having to worry that I'm out. Um, because that's not something we verbalize very often. Mm -hmm. And yet without having a marriage relationship in your life, you fear that everyone could abandon you at some point, right? Right. Particularly if you don't have a really big family network or if your family network is more complicated um, and you might like really be like, oh, I'm going to be on my own. Like I I was really convicted that, no, I need to tell these friends in my life, like I am in this for life. Like there's really nothing you could do at this point where I'm just like, nah, I don't want to be your friend anymore because the bond that we have transcends just you know the moment Mm -hmm. and these are actually friends that I don't talk to daily or even weekly but they're the friends that like I check in with because I know that's that's what our friendship is like I I I am obligated and in that way and so Mm -hmm. I think verbalizing that obligation is a really important thing um for people who are single and in like extended periods of singleness like because we don't Again, it's that question of who owes us their time. Like I'm basically opening the door and saying, look, I feel like I owe you time. So you don't need to worry about asking of it, you know? Mm-hmm. I guess I've hesitated because I've seen even really close friendships um, change in ways that you wouldn't have anticipated. So I'm, I guess I'm gun shy at making those kinds of declarations just because I I just recognized how crazy and variable life is. So I, yeah, I find like I am maybe a little envious of that and, but I'm also scared of that. So that's really interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think that like you were saying with David and Jonathan, there are a few examples in the Bible of people. There are other covenants besides marriage and yet they don't seem to, they're not instituted by God. Right. Right. As marriage is. There, there are some differences, but you see people at certain places institute covenants with each other. And there are formalized political covenants like the king-vassal relationship, like the kingdom in charge of the other kingdom. And like that's supposed to be an unbreakable covenant, of course. that's It's quite a cynical covenant, too, like that people broke all the time. Um, but there was always moral indignation on the side that was you know, right. hurt by it. But like it, it seems to me that there, that it feels human to humans 
to have more covenantal-ish relationships than, than marriage. That marriage can be held slightly differently, slightly more constrictedly, slightly more focused, slightly more divinely sacred in certain ways. But that at the same time, like there's something that feels consumeristic and shallow and brittle about a life in which there is no one who would drop everything to come for Mm -hmm. you. And that you know that and they know that. You know what I mean? I do. Yeah, I feel that. Um, I feel it, but at the same time, I don't feel like I can expect it. So it's really interesting mm-hmm. in my place in life. Like the biggest fears that I have imagining the future is that I will be completely forgotten and totally alone. Mm-hmm. And I just have to go, yeah, that's, that's a real possibility. Yeah. And that would be tragic and no one's fault. I mean, like, who would I blame? Yeah. I would say the church. <laughs> I mean, it, it really, if you were like... And me it, and Maggie. Yeah, mm-hmm. a little bit, right? Like, there, that fear, I understand that fear, but at the same time, like, the way God's kingdom works, like, you should expect that from the church. Not necessarily the people that you are with now or... But, like, people should be there for you in the nursing home. People should be there for you. Like, even if they're not, like, there every single day, like... That's what Christian community is. Well, so then I just turned that question back on myself. How many old people have you visited? Yeah, which uh, there's some great singleness irony there because it appears as though in 1 Timothy, that is what older widows often did in the church if they had sufficiently godly reputations, right? So I I believe that in 1 Timothy, there's at least three offices. There's elder, deacon, and I think the list of widows is an official church ministry position. I think it's the only way that list makes any sense that women over 60 that were widowed who chose not to remarry um, could come into the full-time service of the church something like a proto-nun and they would do a lot of good works they would visit people and, and a lot of it would probably was not technical kinds of ministry but the basic human actions necessary for love is i think what these women did i think they did other things too but i think they basically the qualifications to be one of these women was you had to be over 60 you weren't going to remarry and you had to have a reputation for doing all kinds of little works of service, like just all kinds of stuff that you just did for other people. And that kind of person could be could be in service of the church. And so I think that in one sense, in the early church, it was older single people who did a lot of that ministry. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that that's really interesting. I, I also think, though, it is relevant that over and over in the Bible, the New Testament authors call us brothers and it's implicitly brothers and sisters. And the assumption is, is that the other Christians are your brothers and sisters. And like when you said, like, I can just barge into my family and my family can't reject me. Like, and when I was in college ministry, we used to, we'd like eat off each other's plates and say, Acts two, ah, right. Cause the leaders had everything in common, but there's a, I mean, there is a certain, there is, a, there, that is a very biblical reality that like, there is something very communal about the Christian church that we are brothers and sisters to each other and heirs of Christ and that that should matter for love and presence and all those kinds of things, right? I'm... So one of the things that I think is a a result of the way that we respect individualism too much, um, which is one of the, I'd say, problems, is like stop respecting our individual individuality or our freedom so much, um, is that as a result of that, a lot of older singles feel like telling anyone that they want someone to come visit them is somehow burdensome. Mm-hmm. And so, um, like I remember one Christmas cause my family's never really celebrated Christmas. Um, I actually reached out and I was like, look, I, I, I'm staying here in Madison. I'd really like to spend Christmas with someone. Um, you know, do you know of anyone in the church that needs someone to spend Christmas with? And no one had an answer to that because like, we're not, Like no one is voicing that that's a need, Mm -hmm. right? And so like there's ways that we can foster those networks and kind of spread it. So like when you hear of someone who has time and they're like really looking for community, you're like, you know what? This might not seem like what you're looking for, Mm -hmm. but I know of so-and-so, right? Like they're just having that awareness. And and I think the one thing that when I get like really consumed with, oh my goodness, I'm going to die alone, you know, somewhere in a nursing home, I remember it was like, well, 
only if I if I don't ask anyone because I, I think that there are, and I'm yeah. blessed with a very large family, right? But mm-hmm. um, I there's I have 10 nieces and nephews. So one of those little monsters is going to come visit me, you know, because I'm going to demand it. Um, but like there, if I voice it, they, like they'll come. I do believe that of Christian community. But I also know myself and I'm very fearful that I won't say anything. And then I really will die alone. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, there's that's a double-edged sword it there. Yeah, it is. Final thoughts. We've given people something to think about. We can always come back for another round. Yeah. I guess the other, so we've spent a lot of time talking about kind of the social constructs and the smaller circles of singleness and church community and friendship and those kinds of things and not spent as much time talking about the real gifts and potential that single people offer for the work of the kingdom Mm -hmm. and how we might really leverage that for great good. Um, Because there, we have a lot of time and energy that often doesn't get used in great ways. It can be wasted. And I, you know, maybe that's another conversation to have, but I, I do think that there could be better ways to create kingdom movement, especially with, groups of single people or pairings that involve single people more actively. Mm -hmm. Um, There's just, there's more that we can do. I know that there's more that I could do. And I'm currently, I'm trying to find where do I fit in ministries where, you know, I have certain passions. How do I get involved? Um, I have time to give and I have passion. And so, yeah, I think that's one of those Bible passages. The Bible passage in first Corinthians seven that says basically like, if you're single, you don't have to spend your time pleasing your spouse. You can spend all your time pleasing the Lord. And isn't that great? That's That feels a little bit like the earlier part of the passage of 1 Corinthians 7 that basically says the husbands and wife bodies belong to the other. They shouldn't deprive each other. And like sometimes people really resent that because it means that you're supposed to give yourself to each other in marriage. And sometimes single people really resent this other one because they're basically like, this is the passage you hit us over the head with. This is like the, this is like, yeah. you have all your time. You should, well, like Maggie was saying before, sometimes we get told all we should do is serve at the church. But at the same time, like that is what the passage says. The passage says one of the greatest things about being a single person is that you are free from pleasing anybody but Christ, which is exactly like what Maggie was talking about. The temptation is to please no one but yourself when you're single. And the, the temptation for me in the state of marriage I'm in is to please everyone but Christ. Right. Right. But I think the opportunity when you're single is to, please Christ in everything that you do. And I think that there are enormous opportunities for that. And a lot of people who might be listening to this who are married right now, like it's 50, 50, you're going to be single again, right? Like somebody's going to die first. And like there it's, it's, it's not uncommon for people to have 20 years of singleness at the end of life. I'm, like my daughter's about to turn 16. My dad died just before she was born. So my mom's 81. She's been single for 16 years. Right. Right. And she was married a good portion of her life, but she was single till she was 34 or five, got married, had two, two babies. My dad died in a car accident and then she was single for another 20 years. So she's been single longer than she's been, than she was married and she had quite a long marriage. She had a 35, 37 year marriage. So sometimes I don't think married people pay enough attention to the fact that like they could be single again. And like we, we need to understand the differences in like, our life stages and just because you're married even married there's like eight different married life stages that are very different and just and single people see, see this too they're like there's a very difference between a single person who thinks they're imminently going to get married and everything's going to work out exactly as they planned and a person who is beginning not to believe that right and a person who definitely doesn't believe that those are three as my experience as a pastor those are three very different kinds of single people mm-hmm. and the latter kind is usually either like deeply reflective or very upset or both. Right. And so, yeah. So yeah, we got it. I think, I think one of the things Maggie said before that, like you, you got to go at it both ways. Like single people have to not take things personally. You got to involve yourself. You've got to realize first Corinthians seven does say one of the great things about being single and it's, and it's superiority to marriage is at least potentially in the fact that you can please Christ directly with all your work. Right. And then married, I think married people and the church need to realize that there's 
there are bigotries towards single people we need to be deeply concerned about. Like churches won't, won't hire single pastors, for example. And because we assume they're perverts or they're gay and they just won't tell us, or are they something right? They're afraid we're, they're, we're afraid they're going to molest the girls in the ministry or something. Um, that we don't invite single people into our lives that we're, if we don't set boundaries that we have to, when we invite them into our lives. So then we get annoyed at them that they're often younger than us. And some of the things that they do, they do just cause they're younger. Like they think texting is okay for like very important things. And we don't like when you're a little bit older. Right. So those are big deals, but like, those are all, you can mitigate all those. Yeah, you can. You could just with a little like virtue, love and kindness and, Imagining humility, imagining what it's like to be the other person. Right. You really can, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think it's just important too that in order to help foster more joy in the single community, that it's important that we appreciate the single community and, mm-hmm. and vice versa. Like I think single people um, can really talk to the people that are serving them well and tell them that so that they know, oh, this is how I should be helping other single people, right? Like yeah. sometimes there's a lot of like effort that's going out that people don't know if it's working or not. So if it's actually working, um, yeah. like if you see a single person, you're like, wow, they are doing such great work for the kingdom right now. Tell them that, right? Because a lot of times I think the work for the kingdom that single people do, it starts as just something to fill our time that we know that's better than Netflix. Right. And we're not sure if it's actually something that's working good for the kingdom or not. Yeah. Um, but we know we're supposed to be working for the kingdom. So it kind of right. starts and we're trying to find fulfillment and things other than relationships, you know, and then yeah. th- there's a lot of effort that is, there's no one out there really confirming for us whether it's good or not. And we can pray. And I think the Holy Spirit does help confirm that. But to hear that from someone else means so much and can bring so much joy. Um, and there is a lot of joy in the single life. Um, but, you know, adding to that is never a bad idea yeah. um, and vice versa for single people speaking to people who aren't single or other singles, like, you know, just communicating that these different life stages or these different life paths are like wonderful things to have that diversity is good. Um, I think that needs to be verbalized a lot more. Yeah. Curse, you want to have the last word? Right on, Maggie. Sweet. All right. Well, thanks guys for being here. And I can't wait till you're here again. Thanks for having us. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Engage and Equip podcast. If you'd like to find more episodes, you can go online to highpointchurch.org slash podcast. You can also find us online on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, and other apps like that. We hope this episode was helpful to you as you grow in becoming a substantive disciple and a part of the local church. If this episode was helpful to you, rate or review us on Apple Podcasts or otherwise share this episode with a friend. Those are some of the best ways that we have to reach new listeners. So until next time, thanks for listening to this episode of Engage and Equip.